They've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, welcome. Welcome, welcome. to Bible with the Barbers. And here we are. <laughs> we are here. We're going we're gonna to look at the scriptures today and ask the Lord to enlighten our minds and hearts that we can hear the words that he speaks to us. Amen. And also give us the courage and the strength to live according to the words that he speaks to us. That's sometimes the hardest part. We can hear the word sometimes, and we just says like, well, "I don't really want to listen to that right now." So uh, let me change it, or let me think of it another way, and uh, or tomorrow I'll listen tomorrow. And we need to listen now. There may not be a tomorrow for us. Right. We don't know how long we're going to live on this earth. So we have the Gospel of John today. This is the seventh week of Easter. So this is the daily readings for those who just came on for the first time. We read the readings of the gospel of daily mass that the three-year cycle offers us. So it's going to be from John 17, verse 1 to 11. Correct. And Jesus raised his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Give glory to your Son, so that your Son may glorify you, just as you gave him authority over all people, so that your Son may give eternal life to all you gave him. Mm. Now this is eternal life, that they should know you, the only true God, and the one whom you sent, Jesus Christ. I glorified you on earth by accomplishing the work you gave me to do. Now glorify me, Father, with you, with the glory that I had with you before the world began. I revealed your name to those whom you gave me out of the world. They belong to you, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you gave me is from you, because the words you gave to me I have given to them, and they accepted them and truly understand that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those you have given me. Because they are yours, and everything of mine is yours, and everything of yours is mine. And I have been glorified in them, and now I will no longer be in the world, but they are in the world while I am coming to you. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So this, this is the, what's, what's referred to as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. In the Gospel of John, we have those chapters where Jesus is carrying on this dialogue first with his apostles and now in this last chapter this is at the last supper he carries on this dialogue with his father he addresses the father and this is his high priestly prayer and he's praying for his priests in particular his bishops those whom he has made the foundation stones of his church just you know there were 12 tribes of Israel he chose 12 apostles mm-hmm. to because the 12 tribes and and So his church, he founded the church, and he's praying, and he's asking the Father. First of all, he tells him, give glory to your Son, that your Son may glorify you. And so this glory is the glory that the Son had with the Father from all eternity. 
It's not that the human soul of Jesus preexisted his conception in his mother's womb. It's that the second person of the Blessed Trinity is God from all eternity. He is the Son of God. That God is a trinity of persons. He's a community of love and life. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, uh, as St. John Paul II said, he is the original family mm-hmm. on which all, all human families are modeled. You know, God isn't made in the image of the human family. The human family is made in the image of God. So the human family is supposed to image God. So Jesus is glorified, and he's going to be glorified in his suffering, which is like, are you serious? You know, but, but how? Why is this? Because his suffering will redeem us. It will restore the order. God in the beginning made us to be in union with him. And by sinning, we disrupted that order, and we were no longer in union with him. And so he's restoring us to that union. And in that union is glory. Because we share in the glory of God. Now, what's interesting is he tell, he says to him, this is eternal life, that they should know you, the only true God, and the one whom you sent, Jesus Christ. So what is eternal life? To know God and to know Jesus Christ, whom he has sent, who is God, made the word made flesh. He is the second person of the Blessed Trinity. And so this is what eternal life is. So even on this earth, we can begin to experience that union with God and a taste of heaven, the foretaste of heaven in living in union with God. So Jesus had glorified the Father by doing everything that the Father had sent him to do. So how do we glorify God? By doing the same, by doing everything that Jesus has sent us to do. And he sent us to live the gospel to the full without compromise. So doing the will of God is what God is asking us to do. And if we live in the presence of God, then God's will is manifested moment by moment as long as we're staying faithful to our duties and our state in life. And I, I mention that, Mary, because a lot of us are going, well, I don't know if this is God's will. I'll tell you what, you're married. It's your will to be faithful to your wife. I guarantee God's you that's will. God's will. Absolutely. And your children and to do your duty well, because that's how you sanctify the temporal order. Exactly. We sanctify the, the family. And, and doing our duty is that basic response mm-hmm. to God's will. God, you know, a, as a student, your duty is to do your studies and do them well. But remember, our first duty is to God. So if, all, if I'm taking all of my time as a student to study, then I'm neglecting my duty toward God. I need to pray. How can I know someone that I don't spend time with? We need to spend time with God. We're supposed to know him. This is eternal life to know him. Well, how can I know him if I never spend time with him? You know, if I never read the scriptures, the scriptures are the word of God. They're God speaking to us. If I never go to church and spend time with Jesus in the Eucharist, how can I know him? If I know, you know, if I know somebody, I get to love them. And when I love somebody, I want to spend time with them. How many of us who are married, when we were going together, made all kinds of sacrifices to spend time with the person that we were going to marry? And, and yet, how much time do we give God? Are we only going to Mass on Sunday and just, and just that barely? Minimum. You know, or are we going early to Mass on Sunday, reading the readings before Mass, staying after Mass to thank Jesus for giving himself to us in Holy Communion? And by the way, you know, we don't have a right to receive Holy Communion. Yes, it's a gift that God gives us, and he gives it to all. It's, it's available to all those who are baptized as long as we're not conscious of grave sin. 
we need to go to confession on a frequent and regular basis. And St. John Paul II, you know, he kept telling people, you know, go to confession frequently and frequently and, and go to confession and go to confession. And finally, the bishops of the United States said, well, what do you mean? Go to confession frequently. <laughs> what, do you, what does that mean to you? And he said, every month. So, you know, it's not our idea. We didn't make it up. We need to be going to confession at least every month. So we want to do that so that we can know God. We can live in his grace. If we live in his grace and we spend time in prayer, spend time reading the scriptures, reading the writings of the saints, we will get to know God. And if you want to know what the early church looked like, read the writings of the fathers of the church. Read the Acts of the Apostles, but read also the fathers of the church so that you understand what the early church looked like. You know, it's funny because there's a lot of Protestants. You know, the Protestant Revolution came, revolt from the Catholic Church came in the 1500s. And a lot of Protestants today think, oh, well, you know, Christianity more or less started in the 1500s that the Catholic Church had apostatized and, and that, you know, it was just in the 1500s that it was rediscovered. And then those people go back and they read the Fathers of the Church and they're like, uh, wait a minute, this kind of looks like the Catholic Church. What, what's wrong here? What's, well, because the Catholic Church is the church that Christ established and has continued. You know, Mary, what you just said, my good friend Ken Hensley, Baptist minister, said exactly what you just said. Yeah. And many other Protestants that I've had dealings with that are Catholic today, yeah. they go back to the fathers of the church and they go, what? <laughs> so you're spot on. Yeah, so it's so Jesus came and, and we, we're going to have eternal life by knowing God. And Jesus says that he's revealed the Father's name. You see, if we didn't know that God had a son, we couldn't know he was Father. That's right. It's only that he has a son that we can call him father. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus came to reveal the father to us. And he prays for his disciples. And he says, I don't pray for the world. What does he mean by the world? Mm -hmm. Well, the fathers of the church always understood the world is that element within creation that is always in opposition to God. Mm -hmm. So in us personally, it's called sin. Okay? Whenever we set ourselves against the will of God, when we sin or refuse to do his will, then we are being worldly. We're setting ourselves against God. And that Jesus isn't praying for that. He's praying for his, those who follow him to be faithful, and that in the world, that they will be faithful despite all of the temptations not to be faithful. So Jesus prays for his followers. And because... And then he says that everything that is the Father's is his, and everything that is his is the Father's, and that these apostles were given to him by the Father. So Jesus is God, and it's very clear in his high priestly prayer. He's, he's union with the Father. He's one with the Father, and that he and the Father are one, and that his glory is in doing the will of the Father, and our eternal salvation is in knowing God. Well said. Mary, I want to mention that you have a women's conference with Barbara Nicolosi on the 7th of September. So put that on your calendar here at the Sacred Heart Chapel. You can register now. It's on our website, Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And by the way, coming up this month, June 22nd, you're going to be at a women's retreat at St. Gregory the Great Church in Whittier, California. So anybody in Southern California... Uh, Matt Arnold will be there, and Jill from the Father Colby Missionaries will be there talking about consecration to Mary. Beautiful. Matt Arnold will be speaking about devotion to Our Lady, how it's essential. And then, of course, Mary Danielle is going to talk about Mary in the Bible. There you go. So I would say if you want to register for that, go to the uh, call this number, 562 
652-8982. When we come back, we're going to continue with our readings of the Acts of the Apostles here at the Bible with the Barbers. And again, I just want to thank you, all of you who've been supporting us here at Virgin Most Powerful. We're growing every day because of you. We'll be right back with much, much more The Bible with the Barbers. This is Terry Barber inviting you, all the men, to a men's conference June 15th at the Sacred Heart Chapel. This is going to be a day where we're going to talk about true masculinity. You know, there's a problem in the Catholic Church today. We have very few men who love the Catholic faith. And I know a lot of the wives that I'm listening to right now are saying, I want my husband to be on fire for the faith. Send him to the men's conference. Your son, send him to the men's conference by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877-526-2151. That's June 15th. When your husband comes back from this conference or your son, they're going to have a different view about their Catholic faith because they're going to meet three men who love Jesus and his bride, the church, and are going to instill in them a love for Christ and his church, the Eucharist, Our Lady. Bring them to virginmostpowerfulradio.org. Sign up there or call 877-526-2151. Full sheen ahead. It is only because of your continued prayers and generous donations that Virgin Most Powerful Radio can broadcast live each weekday. We count on your spiritual and financial support because you understand the urgent need for Catholic programming that shares the gospel with clarity and charity, but without compromise. Please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly donor. You can set it up with the touch of a button on our website, catholicrc.org. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow! That's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US1. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment... Call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, welcome back here. Terry's stepped out for a minute, so we're just going to continue on. Last week, we were in the Acts of the Apostles, Chapter 2, and we had the Pentecost uh, event that we read about, the, the giving of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And we asked for that. Remember, I said, we need to pray for the coming of the Holy Spirit. We need to pray that God will pour out his spirit upon us, that we can recapture that lost joy. It seems that so many Christians today have lost the joy of being Christian. I've actually, you know, there's joy in suffering with Christ. And we've lost that. We we're looking for a, a perfect paradise on this earth, and we're looking to uh, escape suffering. And that's not the answer. Escaping suffering is not the answer. It's, it, it, it's the devil's trick, you know? Uh, people are tempted to commit suicide because they want to escape all the pain. And it's not that they want to kill themselves. They want the pain to end. And I can understand that, you know, but the, the suffering has meaning when it's united to Christ. 
So at the end of that chapter two, we have a little summary, as it were. And um, it says, those who received the words, Peter's words, and were baptized, added to about 3,000. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all those who believed were together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and distributed to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and the breaking of the bread in their homes, they partook of the food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. So we want to look at this and I want to run through it quick because there's a lot there and we want to get to further on in the Acts of the Apostles. But St. John Chrysostom observes that the sacred writer draws attention to two virtues in particular here in verse 42, the, the virtues of perseverance and fellowship, and tells us that the apostles spent long periods of time instructing his disciples. You know, sometimes as Catholics, we look upon the Protestant ideas fellowship as kind of silly. Well, it's not, actually, because as I said in the beginning of the show, talking about God, God is a community of love and life. He's, as St. John Paul II said, the original family. So the family, the human family, is made in the image of God, and so is the church, supposed to be an image of God in the world. And so we should be loving one another and serving one another as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the Trinity love one another. And so this fellowship is not unimportant. We should be having fellowship, but not a fellowship that leads us to uh, overindulgence in the things of this world or debauchery or away from the things of God or away from our duty, but a fellowship that gives us renewed courage and strength to live our faith day by day. Now, what's interesting is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So the apostles' teaching, the instruction normally given to new converts, and this isn't necessarily the proclamation of the gospel to non-Christians, but it is that catechesis, that ongoing catechesis that has to go on, that's aimed at explaining to the disciples the Christian meaning of Scripture and the basic truths of our faith. So the basic truths of our faith is what we have to believe and practice in order to attain salvation. And by the way, that's where the creed was developed, was from this catechesis. The creed was developed, the the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed. These are summaries of our faith, and they were developed through this catechesis. So the catechesis is an ongoing preaching and explanation of the gospel within the church. And this is a phenomena to be found in the very early days of Christianity. So the church is an evangelizer, all right? But she begins by evangelizing herself, those people who have joined the church. And the community of believers needs to be evangelized. And it's a community of hope, a hope practiced and transmitted, a community of fraternal love. It has need to listen unceasingly to what it must believe, to the reasons for its hope, and to the new commandment of love, Paul VI tells us in um, his encyclical Evangelii Nuntiandi. So we of the church need to be continually reminded. We need to be continually listening to the gospel anew. It's not once, oh, I heard it once, that's it, I'm done. We know every day we need to renew ourselves in the gospel and listen again. And we need to be catechized. 
So the catechesis is necessary and it's needed. And so pastors need to provide this. This is a sacred duty of the church to provide catechesis. The whole book of the Acts of the Apostles is a witness that they were faithful to their vocation and the mission they had received, not only to just preach the gospel, but to continually explain the meaning and to take all of scriptures and explain it in the Christian content, in light of Christ, how the scripture speaks to us of Christ. So this is the catechesis. So the number of the first, the members of the first Christian community are seen in it as devoted to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Now, the breaking of bread, what does this refer to? Well, the breaking of bread refers to the Blessed Eucharist. And just before that, I just want to say briefly on the fellowship. Fellowship refers to the union of hearts brought about by the Holy Spirit. So fellowship isn't just, you know, the gossip and the being with other people. And it's a fellowship of hearts brought about by the Holy Spirit. It's a profound solidarity among the disciples that resulted from their practice of the faith and their appreciation of it as a peerless treasure, which they all shared, a gift to them from God the Father through Jesus Christ. Their mutual affection enabled them to be detached from material things and to give their possessions to help those in need. That's what the fellowship is referring to. And the breaking of the bread refers to the Eucharist. And the, the, um, the early Christian community referred to the Eucharistic sacrifice, the renewal of the entire Paschal mystery, as the breaking of the bread. Now, early on in the church, as a matter of fact, when the Didache was written, the Eucharist was referred to as Eucharist, that is Thanksgiving. Well, is it the breaking of the bread or is it Thanksgiving or is it both? The Eucharist is the entire Paschal mystery of Christ, and Christ's Paschal mystery is perfect adoration, perfect thanksgiving, perfect expiation for sin, and perfect petition to the Father. So it's all of that in one. So it is Eucharist. It is perfect thanksgiving. It's Christ's thanksgiving. The Eucharist is Christ's sacrifice that's represented to us in an unbloody manner. We don't believe we're crucifying Christ again. Catholic Christians don't believe that. Jesus doesn't die on the altar every day. Jesus represents himself in his risen, ascended, glorified state in an unbloody manner through his high priesthood, acting in and through the priests by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he presents to us his entire Paschal mystery. It's a great mystery, yes. So even in the early church, from the Pentecost onwards, the Mass and Eucharistic Communion formed the very center of the Christian worship. The Christians met daily in their homes for the breaking of bread. So from that time onward, the church has never failed to come together to celebrate the Paschal mystery, reading those things which were in all of Scripture concerning him, celebrating the Eucharist in which the victory and triumph of his death are made present to us, and at the same time giving thanks to God. Now, we're supposed to receive our Lord in the Eucharist with a clear conscience and a pure heart. Ergo, the need for confession, which Jesus established in John 20 when he breathed on his, holy, his apostles and said, who received the Holy Spirit, whose sins you shall forgive, they are forgiven them. We need to confess our sins to the Lord. This repentance 
is the essence of, and we need to do it every day in terms of repent every day anew, but every, we should go to confession at least once a month, St. John Paul II said. So St. John Paul II reminds Catholics that the Eucharist is the absolute center of our life. He says it is from the Eucharist that all of us receive the grace and strength for daily living, to live real Christian lives in the joy of knowing that God loves us, that Christ died for us, and the Holy Spirit lives in us. Our full participation in the Eucharist is the real source of the Christian spirit that we wish to see in our personal lives, in all aspects of society. Whether we serve in politics, economics, culture, social or scientific fields, no matter what our occupation is, no matter what our social standing is, the Eucharist is a challenge to our daily life to live Christ, to be Christ to the world. Our union with Christ in the Eucharist must be expressed in the truth of our lives today, in our actions, in our behavior, in our lifestyle, in our relationships with others. For each one of us, the Eucharist is a call to ever greater effort so that we may live as true followers of Jesus, truthful in our speech, generous in our deeds, concerned, respectful of the dignity and rights of all persons, whatever their rank or income. Whatever their rank or income, we respect everyone. We don't look at their rank or income. They're children of God, and we need to see them as that. So we need to be self-sacrificing, fair, just, kind, considerate, compassionate, and self-controlled. The truth of our union with Jesus in the Eucharist is tested by whether or not we really love our fellow men and women. It is tested by how we treat others, especially our families It is tested by whether or not we try to be reconciled with our enemies and our friends and our family members on whether or not we forgive those who hurt and offend us. And that was a a sermon John Paul II gave in Dublin. And by the way, you know, family, family is supposed to be an image of God, the Trinity. And we hurt our family members. And oftentimes we hurt them without intending to. You know, parents have to discipline their children. They try and guide and direct their lives. And then... The children grow up and become adults, and the, the, the parents are concerned that their children are Christian and living a fully Christian life. And so we try and give direction and advice to them, and oftentimes they're hurt by our actions, and we ask them to forgive us. Sometimes we do things that we aren't intending to hurt somebody. You know, we have idle curiosity, and so we look at their things, or we um, are trying to help clean their room, and we see things that they didn't want us to see, or you know, whatever. And, but we all need to try and forgive. Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. And it was our sins that crucified him. And he died to show us how much he loved us. But he remains in the Eucharist to give himself to us under, under the appearance of bread, his real body, blood, soul, and divinity. And he forgives us our sins. What we have done to Jesus Christ is so far greater than anything we've done to each other. And yet, So we ask forgiveness. We ask forgiveness of those we've offended. And we ask the Lord to help us to forgive all those who have offended us also. We need to forgive. When we don't forgive, it tears us apart. It destroys love within us. And it makes us incapable of truly loving anyone. So if we have something against our parents, we need to forgive them. And we need to ask, you know, explain to them what they've done wrong. And then, you know, maybe our pride's involved in that. So when someone hurts us, we need to make the act of the will to forgive. 
Now, don't short circuit your emotions. If someone's really done an injustice against you, it's okay to feel the emotion of anger, but process it. Don't live in that anger. Don't cling to that anger. Don't, don't make that emotion of anger your life. Make an act of the will to forgive. And then ask for the grace to, to process the emotions so that you can forgive with your emotions also. You know, it's not, we're not just a will. We have a body. We have to learn both. And we'll be right back with more of the Acts of the Apostles. This is Terry Barber inviting you, all the men, to a men's conference June 15th at the Sacred Heart Chapel. This is going to be a day where we're going to talk about true masculinity. You know, there's a problem in the Catholic Church today. We have very few men who love the Catholic faith. And I know a lot of the wives that I'm listening to right now saying, I want my husband to be on fire for the faith. Send him to the men's conference. Your son, send him to the men's conference by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877-526-2151. That's June 15th. When your husband comes back from this conference or your son, they're going to have a different view about their Catholic faith because they're going to meet three men who love Jesus and his bride, the church, and are going to instill in them a love for Christ and his church, the Eucharist, Our Lady. Bring them to virginmostpowerfulradio.org. Sign up there or call 877-526-2151. Full sheen ahead. It is only because of your continued prayers and generous donations that Virgin Most Powerful Radio can broadcast live each weekday. We count on your spiritual and financial support because you understand the urgent need for Catholic programming that shares the gospel with clarity and charity, but without compromise. Please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly donor. You can set it up with the touch of a button on our website, catholicrc.org. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow! That's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US-1. This is Jesse Romero. You're listening to Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Barbers, and um, now the fear that came upon every soul. We're at voice, verse 43 here. We took a little bit on verse 42, but verse 43. That fear that came upon everyone was not a fear and trembling, a servile fear. It was that healthy type of fear that denotes respect and reverence in the presence of holy things. And it's a fear that can change our attitude and behavior when we experience it. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's not, the fear of the Lord is not, oh, he's going to get me. It's, God is so awesome. He is so powerful. He's so, he loves so much. And it's just like, Lord, I bow down before you and I desire to give everything to you. I desire to give, you gave me my life. I give it back to you. 
it's it's a beautiful um, experience of just the presence of God. So they were all together in this charity and union of hearts, okay? And they sacrificed their interests and their material needs for the help to say, you know, that they, they held everything in common. Well, does that mean that everybody gave up all of their rights to private property and that this was a sort of, uh, you know, communistic uh, society? And no, actually it wasn't. The more well-to-do Christians voluntarily gave from their excess to the apostles to be distributed to the poor, the poorer who had less. So everybody was trying to take care of the needs of others because of their love for God. And that love for God is expressed in our love for our neighbor. And it's a, it's a voluntary poverty and detachment. It's not communism and it's not welfare. By the way, the state, um, you know, taking our wealth away from us for it to redistribute it to the poor. That's not. So you're making, you're making a distinction that let's say communism takes it without you exactly. giving it. So you have no choice in the matter. You don't own it. Right. But the difference is it's yours. It's your private property. Right. And you decide to give it to the poor. Exactly. That's the difference. Exactly. And as a matter of fact, you know, the, 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 um, the fathers of the church had some interesting to say. St. John Chrysostom, he said, this voluntary poverty and detachment cut at the selfish root of many evils. And the new disciples showed that they understood the gospel teaching. And he says, this was not recklessness of the kind shown by certain philosophers of whom some gave up their inheritance and others cast their gold into the sea. That was not, not contempt of riches, but folly and madness. They, didn't, they just did those things to prove, oh, I'm so free of the things of this world. No, the devil has always made it his endeavor to disparage the things God has created as if it were impossible to make a good use of riches. Now, that's the fathers of the church. That's St. John Chrysostom. That's early on. Mm-hmm. So this, this is not a matter of um, you know, the church taking everything that you have or the government taking everything that you have to redistribute it. This is a matter of all of us recognizing that we're God's children and we need to take care of each other. And those who have more are willing to make sacrifices and to give. And so we have the things of this world. What belongs to us is ours. And we use it in the service of God and his church and the poor. We don't keep it for ourselves as if this is all mine and nobody has a right to it. And, but at the same time, we don't just say, oh, all material things are evil and bad. No, we use the things of this world in order to serve our neighbor and to help our neighbor to take care of their needs. So it's, you know, it's interesting because the solidarity, health sharing and, and, and the, um, MediShare health sharing are both based on this model. That's right. That all of the people have their own, um, it's a medical health sharing program. Everybody pays into it. And then the needs of everybody are shared by the entire community. And by that, sometimes we'll get a request for extra money because of a situation with another family who's got an extra surgery coming. And right. With everybody pitching in freely, I might add. Right, freely. And that's how it's, I think it's a great idea. Yeah. And it's not, it's not welfare. It's, it's everybody pitches in according. It's interesting because the Jesuits in South America set up these villages Mm -hmm. and in the village they had, um, they would, the church was the center. They didn't force the Indians to convert to the faith. There was no money in the society. Every family had a plot of ground where they would farm. Mm -hmm. And then there was a community plot and every family had to donate a certain amount of time to the community plot because there's always been, you know, people die, widows, orphans, 
you know, and so they, in order so that everybody would be taken care of, there's this extra community plot. And so they took care of each other. And this existed. It's called the Jesuit Redactions of, of Paraguay. It existed for 150 years in South America. And the Indians, they didn't have weapons. They didn't have money for the first about 100 years. And they had, and they just shared. And none of them were forced to commit to become Christian, but Christianity, the church was the center of the village and everybody prayed. And they also formed it on the model of the monastery yeah. that once it got to a certain size, they had to break off and found a new village yeah. because this kind of thing doesn't work in a huge society. So the villages were limited in size. And you know, Mary, not to bring this up, but that's why big cities are very difficult for living the faith. They are. And I love the principle of subsidiarity. Right that the Catholic Church teaches in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, putting things on a smaller level so a local group can handle it. And so when things are small, there's a lot, it's a lot easier to handle problems that come up than if it was, you know, big government coming in. Exactly. And And it's handled efficiently and it doesn't put the temptation. You know, when you take out of everybody's paycheck and send it into a government fund, you know, there's always somebody who's tempted to dip into that government fund and they do it all the time. Spend it somewhere else. And they're spending it somewhere else or spending it on themselves. You know, we have a lot of politicians in the United States of America who became wealthy by being politicians. Well, what's paying their salary? Taxpayer dollars. Yep. So why do they keep raising taxes? Because they want to be wealthy and they want to get wealthy off of us, off of our hard work. I'm not saying it's not easy to be a politician. They have to work at it. But the the United States was not set up as to have a big, huge central government. Everything was supposed to be done on local levels with the local communities taking care of it. And that's the way it works. That's the way the church has always done it. And that's the way it did it in the beginning and throughout the histories. And you can look up the Jesuit redactions of Paraguay. And there was a sad end to that story. But um, the Jesuits were repressed. And with they were taken out of the New World. They were taken, had to go back to Europe when they were repressed. And... You know, there were people who thought that the Jesuits had been hoarding gold up there in those. Uh, there's gold in there in their hills. And they went in and they destroyed the Indians. That's funny. And it was sad. But, it, you know, God allows those things to happen. We have to see the good in it. And then, of course, they, they met daily in the break, for the breaking of the bread in their homes. Remember, the early Christians were mostly Jewish. The first, very first converts were mostly Jewish. And so they would go to the temple to pray, you know, Christianity is the extension of, it's the fulfillment of Judaism. It's not the repudiation of it. No. And they went up to the temple. The, 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 the Jews prayed the Psalms in the temple, and they would go to the temple several times a day to prayer, pray together. And so the, the Christians continued this, but they met for the breaking of the bread in their homes, the Eucharist. Wasn't that a code word for the Eucharist? It was a code word for the Eucharist. The Eucharist sacrifice, and it was done in private homes because they didn't have churches yet. So they offered the Eucharistic sacrifices in their homes, and um, they had to be homes of wealthier people because they had to be big enough where the community could meet together. So there's a lot there, and and there's a lot to understand about the difference between um, Christian subsidiarity and welfare and communism. Yeah, <laughs> They're not the same things. <laughs> so um, anyway, we go on to chapter 3, and what happens at the beginning of chapter 3 here? Well, Peter and John are going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. Gee whiz. Yep, they're going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. Just like, you know, they'd they'd prayed before when they were Jewish, and now they continue to pray. And by the way, the Catholic Church continues to pray the Psalms. Priests and religious pray those Psalms that Jesus and Mary prayed, and St. Joseph prayed, and the apostles prayed. They pray those Psalms every day. 
That's the the liturgical. It's part of the liturgical prayer of the church. It's called the office of of um, the office, the divine office. And every day, the priests and religious pray this. Yep. So John and Peter are going up to, the, and there's this man who sits at the beautiful gate, and he's crippled. This is the beginning of chapter three, and there's this crippled man sitting there. And Peter and John come, and Peter says to him, look at us. And the man is intently looking at them. He's expecting to get something. He begs. It's how he lives, because he was born lame. He, from birth, he was crippled. And Peter says, I don't have silver or gold, but what I have, I give you. And Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Mm-hmm. And he takes him by the right hand, and immediately the man's ankles and legs become strong, and he starts leaping and walking, and he enters the temple, and he's leaping and praising God, and he's, he's just like, this is, this is the first time he's walked in his life. <laughs> he's a grown man. He is so excited. Pretty excited, yeah. You know, and he's walking, and the people in the temple are looking because this guy is just praising God out loud, and you know, when somebody comes in the temple saying, Lord, we praise you, we bless you, you are so holy, you are so wonderful, God, you are so good, you are so gracious. You know, everybody turns around like, who is this crazy person who is so so, uh, you know, whatever mm-hmm. we think. And it's like, no, so filled with the joy of the Lord. Yep. He's filled with the joy of the Lord. And he's showing it in his physical demeanor and the way he's, and he comes into the temple and with Peter and John. And and so the people are all like, whoa, this is the man who used to sit at the beautiful gate begging. We know this man. And look at him. Look, at, he's walking, not only walking, he's leaping and jumping and praising God. And it's like, Wow. <laughs> And he's still, he's clinging to Peter and John because it's like, these are the guys that did it. So everybody's running to them and they gather around him in Solomon's portico and they're like, and Peter's like, people, look, we didn't do this of our own power. This isn't something we did. And then Peter preaches the gospel to them and he tells them what? He said, it's not, we didn't make this man walk. The God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was ready to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith which is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. It's like, whoa. And and it's interesting. The man didn't say, I believe Jesus. Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ, walk. Mm. It's Peter's faith and what Jesus is able to do that communicates faith to this man and is able to, and this man is able to walk by the grace of God. <clears throat> and so he needs to explain to the people, <clears throat> it wasn't us, it's Jesus. So now he's going to witness to them about Jesus and what do they need to do? How do they need to change their life to respond to what they're seeing? And here's that music again. It comes every time. (laughs) We'll come right back. And I want to also remind you, the men's conference is coming up. We have a few tickets left. Go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org. This is Terry Barber inviting you 
all the men to a men's conference June 15th at the Sacred Heart Chapel. This is going to be a day where we're going to talk about true masculinity. You know, there's a problem in the Catholic Church today. We have very few men who love the Catholic faith. And I know a lot of the wives that I'm listening to right now are saying, I want my husband to be on fire for the faith. Send him to the men's conference. Your son, send him to the men's conference by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877-526-2151. That's June 15th. When your husband comes back from this conference or your son, they're going to have a different view about their Catholic faith because they're going to meet three men who love Jesus and his bride, the church, and are going to instill in them a love for Christ and his church, the Eucharist, Our Lady. Bring them to virginmostpowerfulradio.org. Sign up there or call 877-526-2151. Full sheen ahead. It is only because of your continued prayers and generous donations that Virgin Most Powerful Radio can broadcast live each weekday. We count on your spiritual and financial support because you understand the urgent need for Catholic programming that shares the gospel with clarity and charity, but without compromise. Please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly donor. You can set it up with the touch of a button on our website, catholicrc.org. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow! That's 80%! Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US1. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment... Call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Terry stepped out again, but here we are with Bible with the Barbers, and we're looking at the Acts of the Apostles. We're on chapter 3, um, around verse 14, where Peter is telling the people that you chose a murderer and, and you killed the author of life. And it's interesting because... When the gospel is preached, remember when Jesus preached the gospel, he said, repent. That's the first word he gives. And what is the reality here? You know, the greatest tragedy in the world is not all the evils we see around us in and of themselves. The greatest tragedy is sin. And sin puts to death life in our soul. Jesus is the author of life, but the greatest life he gives us is the spiritual life. We are not made for a finality in this world. That's one of the reasons why the early church, when they could share their goods with others, is because they realized we're going to heaven. And in heaven, God is all in all, and that's what we're seeking. We're seeking God. We're not seeking to have a, a, a perfect paradise here on this earth. We're not seeking for a finality in this world. We want to get to heaven where we're with God. And in order to do that, we have to be in the state of grace. We have to be living in union with God. Now, we can never infallibly know if we're in the state of grace. So what do we say? Lord, if I'm not in the state of grace, please put me in the state of grace. And if I'm in the state of grace, please keep me in the state of grace. And there's something else. You know, in the Our Father, we pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And there's that beautiful act of love. Oh, my God, I love you above all things with my whole heart and soul because you are all good and deserving of all my love. 
I love my neighbor as myself for love of you. I forgive all those who have injured me, and I ask pardon for all whom I have injured. So I ask pardon for all whom I have injured. And I, and I also ask, I tell the Lord, I want to forgive all those who have injured me. We need to forgive injuries, and we need to pray to live always in the state of grace. It's sin that, that deals death to the soul. Living in poverty is not the greatest tragedy in the world. <clears throat> the greatest tragedy in the world is living in mortal sin. And we don't want to compromise with any sin because even though no amount of venial sin can add up to a mortal sin, venial sin, every sin weakens the will and darkens the intellect and it makes it easier. The more we compromise with sin, little sins, little by little we fall and we become more calloused to the reality of what sin is. Return to us, O Lord, a sense of sin and the sensitivity of the saints, St. John Paul II said. And this is why we want to go to confession frequently and regularly. Yes, you only have to confess mortal sins, but you know what? If you never confess your venial sins, you'll find yourself falling into mortal sin, only you'll be excusing it, and you won't even recognize it. Have you ever talked to people whom you saw at a, somewhere and you knew they were intoxicated? They were tipsy and they were slurred speech and they were stumbling and staggering around. And the next day you talk to them, they're like, I was not drunk. Uh, excuse me, you weren't? Why were you tipsy and staggering and your speech was slurred if you weren't drunk? We can become so callous that we don't even see our sins. This can happen to us, any one of us. So we want to live that disciplined, mortified life, that life of freedom from attachment to the things of this world. And by the way, you know, we live in a world where we try and anesthetize ourselves against emotional pain. We live in a world where people think that the answer is to kill themselves, which is a horrible crime against themselves, against their own dignity, and against God. No, all of our suffering can be offered up in union with Jesus to help redeem the world. And that's what Peter's going to tell the people is that I know you acted out of ignorance and that all of this had to be because it was foretold. By the prophets. And what was foretold? That the Christ would suffer. What? Jesus didn't come to eradicate human suffering. He came to fill it with his presence. We're not here to escape from suffering. All of our suffering has meaning in union with Jesus Christ crucified. I fill up in my own flesh what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, the church. Those are not my words. Those are the words of the Holy Spirit spoken excuse me, written by St. Paul in one of his letters. I fill up in my own flesh what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, the church. And no, that's not a mistranslation. All of us are supposed to be united to Christ. Our suffering has become redemptive in Jesus Christ. Our suffering has the power to free us from attachment to ourself and our own will. It has the freedom, it has the power to free us from attachment to sin and from sin. And it has the power to make us look like Jesus. Jesus suffered. It's beautiful. I heard a beautiful story about a young woman who, she suffered a lot in her life, a tremendously sad life and, and very dark life, and not because she chose sin or anything, but because of the circumstances and cultural background in which she grew up in. And so she would often get these dark thoughts where she would just these horrible thoughts. And then she would see in her mind's eyes, she would see a gun. And, and it was like saying, blow the thoughts away, blow the thoughts away. And so oftentimes when people take their own life, they're not trying to take their life. They're trying to stop the suffering. It's like the man who's caught in a burning building and he's on the 12th floor. And it's like, if I jump out that window, I will probably die. But there's nowhere else out. So, Lord, I'm going to jump out that window not to kill myself, but to escape from the fire. 
And the reality is she had a beautiful insight one day. She had the insight to picture a rose. Every time you have those dark thoughts, picture a beautiful rose. And this wasn't a Christian woman. And so she started doing that. And a friend of hers prayed the St. Michael prayer, a co-worker prayed the St. Michael or the Archangel prayer with her. And she found great relief in that. She was being tempted by the devil to end her life because of the pain and the suffering that she suffered and the dark thoughts that came as a result of that pain and suffering. And God gave her an answer. Pray to St. Michael. Pray to our Blessed Mother, the Mother of Jesus, Mary Mystical Rose, and pray to the saints. St. Therese of Lisieux, you know, showers the world with roses. Remember? And so all of our suffering can be offered up in union with Christ. But we want to repent of our sins. We need to turn away from sin. We have to give up sinning. We have to give up offending our Lord. And there's, we can't say this enough. We need to begin to live it in our own lives. Day by day, we need to start going to confession more frequently and more regularly. At least monthly, St. John Paul II said. And ask the Lord every day, Lord, keep me from sin today. Blessed Mother, pray for me to the Lord Jesus that I will be free of sin this day. You know, given a choice, we might choose the fire rather than water. We might choose death rather than life. The book of Sirach says, It was he who created man in the beginning, and he left him in the power of his own inclination. If you will, you can keep the commandments. If you will. Sin is in the will. It's not a sin if you don't choose it with your will, okay? Renounce the sin of anger when somebody does something against you. Lord, I immediately renounce the sin of anger, but then ask the Lord for the grace to know how to process the emotion of anger, which is in the body, and it has to be processed. One of the ways is to um, go jogging or shadow boxing or, you know, you it. it, it, it when, it, when an injustice is done against you and you feel the emotion of anger, it produces adrenaline. So you have to work the adrenaline out. Okay, so find a way constructively without destroying yourself or someone else to cling to that anger and for days and days to say, I'm not going to forgive that person. They opened my mail or they looked in my things or they looked at me cross-eyed or that person called me a name or that person said I was stupid and worthless. And that was wrong. Yeah, those things may be wrong. But if we cling to that every day and say, look, I'm cutting that person off and I'm not going to associate with them anymore. I'm done. I'm not going to trust anybody. Well, we're hurting ourselves and we're demeaning ourselves and we're degrading ourselves. And that's the temptation of the devil. We need to turn back to the Lord and say, Lord, people make mistakes. And just as Jesus said, he, you know, Peter says, I know that you acted out of ignorance. The, 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 the leaders of the people, they didn't fully understand that Jesus Christ was God and that he was the Messiah. So they crucified him. They acted out of ignorance. And what, did Jesus, what was Jesus' response on the cross? Okay, Father, I'm done with these people. You can destroy the world now. This was their answer. I came, and now this was their answer. Go ahead and destroy them all now. Wipe them all out. He could have done that. He's God. But he didn't do that. He said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. 
So each of us in our heart, Lord Jesus, give us the grace to say, Father, forgive them. Many injustices have been committed against each one of us in our lifetime. People have hurt us. Maybe we were sexually molested. Maybe we were neglected by our parents, not because they were mean or nasty, just because they had so much to do and they had such a big family. Or maybe we were neglected because they were mean and nasty or they were drug addicts or whatever. But Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. And Father, help me to forgive myself for my own mistakes. Help me to forgive everyone who's hurt me. Help me to forgive myself. And help me to recognize and realize, Lord, in your precious blood, we can all become brothers and sisters in Christ again. We can be reconciled to one another. You know, there was a warden, Warden Clinton Duffy. He became the warden of San Quentin. And he wrote a book. It's called The San Quentin Story. You can get it. And he worked with prisoners to reform them. And somebody once said to him, look, you should know that a leopard doesn't change his spots. In other words, why are you trying to reform these criminals? They're just criminals. That's all they are. They're no good. And he said, and you should know that I don't work with leopards. I work with men and men change every single day. And Warden Clinton Duffy believed that in the grace of Jesus Christ, men could change and he treated them differently. And you know what? Men did change at St. Quentin, San Quentin, San Quentin under Warden Clinton Duffy. You can get the San Quentin story and read about it. Bill Sands was one of the men who changed. Yes, we can give up sin. We can master sin. Read the book of Sirach, verse 15, chapter 15, excuse me, verse 14 through 18. We can master sin with the grace of God. It's our choice. God sets before us fire and water. So stretch out your hand and choose which one you want. God sets before us life and death, and God will give us whatever we choose. So if we choose sin and death, God will give us that for all eternity. But it's our choice. And we make that choice by saying, Lord, I want to live in your will. I want to live according to your will. And I am sorry for all the sins that I have committed. I'm sorry for all the people that I've hurt. And sometimes when we hurt people, it's not even a sin. It's just a mistake that we made. We didn't realize how something we were going to do, something that we did, was going to affect someone else. And it made them so angry that their anger really has no proportion to what we did. And yet it had that effect on them. And we are so sorry, but we can't take it back. But we can give it to the Lord Jesus and we can ask him to redeem it. So we do that. Lord Jesus, redeem us in your precious blood. Wash us in your precious blood. Remember the price that you have paid for us, Lord. And please don't let it be lost on us. And don't let it be lost on our children, our families, our husbands, our wives, Lord, pour out your precious blood upon us, on our brothers and sisters, their families and extended families. Bring healing and peace. The world is so lost, Lord. We need you, Lord. We need you, we need you. And we need your Holy Spirit. Please give us the fullness of your spirit and perfect us in love. And we're coming to the end of our program today. And oh my goodness. Well, we started chapter three of the Acts of the Apostles and we got to about chapter, uh, excuse me, verse, chapter three, verse 19. Um, if you want to make a donation, call 877-526-2151. Don't forget our upcoming conferences, the men's conference and um, coming up and, and also the, uh, the women's conference. And um, we thank you for joining us here. We thank you for your support. We thank you especially for your prayers. And for those of you out there who are offering your sufferings for this apostolate, thank you. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you. And may the Lord reward you with beatitude in heaven and peace and joy here on this earth. God bless you. St. Faustina's Prayer for Priests O my Jesus, I beg thee on behalf of the whole church, grant it love 
and the light of thy spirit, and give power to the words of priests, so that hardened hearts might be brought to repentance and return to thee, O Lord. Lord, give us holy priests. Thou thyself maintain them in holiness. O divine and great high priest, may the power of thy mercy accompany them everywhere and protect them from the devil's traps and snares, which are continually being set for the souls of priests. May the power of thy mercy, O Lord, shatter and bring to naught all that might tarnish the sanctity of priests. For thou canst do all things. Amen. Virgin most powerful, pray for us. Virgin Most Powerful Radio, sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.